Morning, everyone. It is amazing to be with you again as we continue our series in Titus. We're absolutely thrilled at what the Lord is doing amongst us as a church in individual people's lives. Uh, your generosity continues to astound us. And we're able to, on the back of that, just really put funds into God's kingdom extension, uh, be it within Harare, through organizations here, beyond with organizations such as Shanduko. It's, it's just so exciting to see people signing up to serve and wanting to be part of the community, inviting friends and family. We're, we're thrilled and it's just such a privilege. And so I'd love to pray and then we're going to get uh, stuck into Titus. We're looking at what it means to live out as a transformed household uh, this morning. So let's pray and we will get right to it. Holy Spirit, thank you for this time that we get to dive into your word together. God, thank you that whether we are face to face in person, whether we're in a lounge, whether we are not feeling well and we're at home, uh, thank you that your word is timeless. Thank you that it is always powerful. Thank you that it's living and active. And so as we look at Titus and we continue the journey, I pray that you would speak with power, you'd speak with clarity, you'd speak with authority, that you would, uh, that my words would be your words and that you would work in each of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Great. So we're in Titus 2. Uh, the, the, the heading in mine is teach sound doctrine, which is really Paul getting across to Titus and saying, preach the truth, tell people the truth of God's word. So let me read uh, Titus 2 verses 1 to 10. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now we could preach a whole series just on this passage so I'm going to be drawing out some key points and nuggets but as an introduction you know every moment every minute of each day there is a spiritual battle raging. We may not always take note of it we may not always think it's happening but it's happening right now as I speak. It's between light and darkness and as Christ follows we serve a powerful king. But there's also a real adversary, the devil. Now, one day, that enemy, the devil, will be defeated once and for all at the return of Christ. But now, although he's been dealt the death blow on the cross, there's still a few skirmishes, there's still a few attacks during this time between the cross of Christ and between the final coming of Christ. But the devil can't be everywhere at once. God can. But the devil can't. So he has to pick and choose where he is going to attack. And so what would make logical sense if you were him, if you were the devil, is to choose your attack based on where you can bring the most damage to God's kingdom. 
And so I believe that he regularly changes his attack positions over the years, depending on where he feels he's having the most uh, benefit or the most uh, effectiveness in stopping or distracting people from God's kingdom. Now, a number of years ago, uh, there was a huge battle raging in society about creation versus evolution. Um, did we just evolve from nothing, random particles bouncing together, to were we created by God? And there was massive deba debates that happened. People created videos. There was books written. And actually towards the end of that time, it went for a number of years, probably uh, 15, 20 years ago. For a number of time uh, that happened. And then actually a lot of the people in the evolutionary debate side started to go, actually, we kind of believe there might be some sort of intelligent design. We, we don't necessarily believe in all of this. There are still some who do, but it was a major battle. And then it sort of went quieter. And then there was sort of the rise of philosophical thought. And so instead of the creation evolution debate, it was much more about our minds and how do we process it? Do we even have real thoughts or not? And how do we see the world? What lens do we see it through? But all intellectual thought processes. What I'm finding in the last few years, and there's been a big ramp up of it during this COVID time, is that the enemy has really changed his battle attack and he centered it around one key area, and that is God's family unit. Everything that God created the family to be, in the last few years, I feel that's the greatest element of attack. If you watch the flow of mainstream media, it works to destroy the family unit as God created it. It pits husbands against wives to, you, you, you should be equal in operation. There's no different way that we operate. And, and it sort of, it creates this battle between husbands and wives. It pits children against their parents and saying, well, well, actually, it's wrong for your parents to discipline you. And you should actually uh, go and tell someone if you're disciplined by your parents and you shouldn't really honor them. What do they know? So there's the sort of attack of family lines in terms of moms and dads and children. And then on top of that, it targets the sexuality of God's created family, bringing disruption to the family units in the first place and actually preventing them from being able to multiply as they should. And I think over this time, it's been huge. Even movements that, uh, that, that might have been based around race in some elements, such as the Black Lives Movement, in their uh, manifesto, which they actually quickly removed from their site, they said that their key focus on one of them was to disrupt the family unit as we know it. That was their key one. It got taken out, but there's lots of copies of it. So although it may have come across as racial lines, no, it was actually an attack on the family unit, and it still is. So we need to be aware, we need to be wise, but we need to know that Jesus will always reign victorious. I just know that it's the battle of our day. It's one of the key battles of our time. And as a result of this focused attack on family, there's something wonderfully powerful about young people, old people, single people, married people who take Jesus seriously and take his design seriously for family. There's something powerful from Jesus when we live as he intended it. It's, it's a beacon of light. It's an example for the world to go, there's something unique and different about that setup. I want to know what it is. It's a roadmap on how to truly live to a world living far from Christ. And this is the power to transform families and to set a blazing example for all to see. I've had the privilege over many years of working with teenagers and working with young adults and, and working with older to see the transformation and the power that comes when just one person in a family decides to take Jesus seriously. I've seen um, uh, moms and dads decide to come and visit church and, and become serious about their faith 
because one of their children has taken God seriously. I've seen extended family members uh, take a look in at the Christian faith because their children's marriage is just done well and is done differently. I've seen uh, teachers and others start to have an interest in faith because of the way certain children behave in terms of respect of elders. It's huge. The impact that doing family the way God created it to uh, be done, uh, the impact it can have is massive. Family units who make Jesus a priority reap the benefit when it comes to marriage, when it comes to children, when it comes to extended family. You see the ripple effects of personal decisions point people to Jesus and they change the trajectory of future generations. Right now, you listening to this, by you deciding whatever state of age and, and family you're at, the impact you can have for future generations is vast. So today, in the series in Titus, this is what we're going to do. We looked last week at sort of church leadership and what that should look like. Today we're going to look at, we're going to go deeper into the family unit. How was Paul wanting Titus to explain to the people in Crete and to, to live out to the people in Crete that the family unit should look like? And this is going to challenge us to the core, challenge me as I prepared. And so we need to have soft hearts. No matter what place of life you're in, I, I want to challenge you right now to open your heart to God's word, not to what you think is the right way to live, not to what you've heard in society, to what scripture would say. But on the back of that, we need to realize that we serve a God of grace. This means that we don't try and behave our way into God's kingdom. That's what other faiths believe, that if I just do better, if I just live the right way, I might be good enough for God. No, the Christian faith is absolutely opposite. It says God reaches into our world and pays a price for us before we did anything. And then as we receive what he's done and we let him transform us from the inside out, we live for him because he's already loved us. Not to earn his love, but because he's already loved us. And so look at what Paul says at the outset. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He's saying everything that comes after the statement is God's heart for the family unit. This is truth. This is right. This is light in a dark world. And so as we look at these next few verses, these next nine verses, we're going to look at three key points that I'd love to draw out and I'd love to, uh, that would set root in your heart. The first one is the responsibility of age. That's the first point, the responsibility of age. Look at what it says here, verse two. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, there's a reason why Paul comes after the men first. He starts off straight away, older men. You see, men, we have a responsibility from God to lead. When men follow Jesus, very often the family does too. The statistics are astounding when it comes to a father following Jesus compared to a mother. There's just something in the headship and the authority God's given for a family unit that when a man, when a, when a husband, when a father decides to take Jesus seriously, most of the time the family follows. And so men, just at the outset, I want to challenge us to step up to the plate in the things of God. I'm loving seeing men 
saying, how can I serve at church? I want to put Christ first. How can I grow in my faith? How can I start giving? I, I want to start giving to the church and to God's kingdom. I don't want to store it up for myself. And it's absolutely thrilling to see. I want to say, well done. And I pray for more of, more of it at harvest. I pray that men would rise up to fulfill the place God has for them. I just know God's building a faith army in Harare of men sold out for the king to smash back the kingdom of darkness. It's, it's time it's time for us to step up to the plate and I want to give every opportunity for that. And as a team, we want to give every opportunity for that at Harvest. You'll notice that Paul's key words are firstly about personal example and then this is backed by instruction. He says to both older men and women, I want you to live this way. So this is how I want you to live and then instruct after that. A life of discipling others without hypocrisy is the goal. You see, young men and women see how the older generation live and begin to imitate that behavior whether they realize it or not. Most powerfully first from parents. So firstly, young men and women will, will see their first examples from their parents and how to live. And then from that, other key figures in their immediate connection and proximity and then to a lesser extent beyond in media and watch what they watch. And so it's inbuilt in all of us to learn from what we hear and see. And ultimately that should be from Christ. But more than that, it comes from other people. Well, not more than that, but it then comes from other people around us. And because of the influence of those who are older in life, Paul challenges the lifestyle head on. And so if you're older, we're not exactly sure what Paul's meaning in age-wise. The interesting thing is, is that he used to call Timothy a young man in the faith. And Timothy was about 40. So maybe for the sake of this discussion, for you to divide yourself about older or younger here, possibly it could be maybe below the 40s or 20s and 30s. You, maybe here as you're getting spoken to of as younger, maybe above 40s, you're in that class of setting an example for those below you. But we're not exactly sure what he was meaning. So Paul challenges this and he says there's some key problems that older men and women face. There's many, we all face problems, but in this passage, I think he goes after some key ones. The key problems men face as they age and as they get older is a 100% commitment to their wives. You see there, it says that they should be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And so I think one of the key problems men face as they age is 100% commitment and love to their wives. He then also says being self-controlled, that's mentioned many times in this. So he says men to be self-controlled, to, to stick to what you say, and then after that, to make wise decisions, to be sober-minded, to be dignified, to continue to act wisely as you get older. Those are three key things we look at in the passage. What about key problems that older ladies face as they age? Honoring their husbands. So it speaks there about older ladies. And the reason why I say that is it talks straight away about older ladies and it goes into teaching the younger ladies. And what should you teach the younger ladies to love and honor and respect your husbands. So that's a key one that he's saying older ladies will struggle with. Men will struggle with being faithful. Older ladies will struggle with showing the love and respect. And then on top of that, self-control, because they need to teach the younger ladies to be self-controlled, which means that they need to be living self-controlled. So self-control, that's for all of us. We need to live that way. And then I'd say a key one is pure speech. Because it talks there about slander. Other passages would talk about gossip. It would talk about teaching them about purity as you go on. So I would say speech. Yes, we all need to watch our speech. But it does seem to get zeroed in on in this passage in terms of the slander aspect. 
So there's many other problems we all face, but for the older, I'd say those are key. So with God's help and example, older men and women can grow to love Jesus more and then set this incredible example for the younger generation to follow. Look at some of the things it says about men. Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Do you know what this world really needs? This world needs men who stay. Men who have staying power, who stay with their wives, who stay with their kids, who stay with the church, who stay committed to what matters most, to stay pure, to stay sold out for Jesus. What a great picture of reliability and strength in the storms of life. And this is the example that younger men need to see. This is the example that younger men are desperate to follow. Men never stop pursuing Jesus, never stop relying on Him. We need you. You're the ones that young men in their teens, 20s and 30s look up to. They need to see the fire of Jesus in your heart. Never let the day slip by. Don't coast into retirement. You know, in God's kingdom, there's no such thing as retirement. Sure, we may work at a slower pace. Sure, we may be in the marketplace to a lesser extent. But there's no retirement in God's kingdom. I pray that there will be such an urgency to make your final years count for what matters most. So, so men, go for it. What about older ladies? Speaks into older ladies. I'd say aside from the different areas Paul speaks about, uh, he obviously talks into behavior, behaving in a, in a reverent way. He speaks about not having too much wine, too much alcohol intake. I think men struggle just as much, but he's, he is zeroing in on this. What does he really focus on? It's one key aspect. And it's, it's older ladies encouraging younger ladies to honor Jesus in their marriage relationship. You can see there, it talks about you're to teach what's good and what is what is good. It's to train young women to love their husbands and children and then to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. And I'll share in a bit, it says, so that the word of God might not be reviled. If there was one thing I would say to you today, in public and private as older ladies, is to speak uplifting words about your husbands. If there was to be one thing that Paul would get across, it would be this, is to speak uplifting words in public and private about your husband. You see, this is the way that younger ladies will know God's picture of marriage. And those last words in the sentence that I just shared are huge. Right at the end of verse five, it says, and the word of God may not be reviled. The word of God will be held in high esteem. The word of God won't be treated as worthless or treated as fake. And so this means that the way that older ladies honor their husbands in word and deed will demonstrate to younger ladies how to love and respect their husbands, which will show the world that scripture is true. So actually this is a gospel issue. It's essential. The way that older men set an example for younger men, the way that older ladies set an example for younger ladies actually is a gospel issue that proves scripture to be true or not. And so it is vital that we live this out. When it comes to the marriage relationship, which is, which is so key in this passage, there's so many nuances between husband and wife relationship, but I would highly recommend a book called Love and Respect. And it talks about two key needs. Now we all have needs as men and women, but it actually talks about the two greatest ones. And it says these are inbuilt, and you see it coming through in the passage, for men and women. They'll need other things, but these are two of the greatest. It says that men need to be honored 
as God-given leaders in the home. So they need to be looked up to or respected as God-given leaders. And ladies need love, unconditional, faithful, focused love as priority. And it, it sort of then has the circle in the process. This is what the book describes. And it shows that, of course, there should be mutual love and respect for, for all of us. Ephesians even says that we mutually love and respect each other. But it says the way that outworks is different. And so in the circle, it says that if we get this right, it's a beautiful picture of God's design for marriage. It says that if a wife gives honor, but then there's no love from the husband, or if a man gives love and there's no respect, the relationship moves into a cycle of damage. So you see how it says, for it to work both ways, there needs to be unconditional love, there needs to be um, amazing honor and respect, and as these work hand in hand, it creates this picture of marriage. And so Paul wants to guard against the damage. He understood the family unit as God intended. And if we think back to the introduction, the enemy wouldn't have it any other way. If older men and women cease to love each other in marriage as God designed, and they cease to demonstrate this to the younger generation, in a matter of years, the enemy has an incredible foothold in destroying the family unit. Just what we spoke about what he's doing in the kingdom of darkness. And so we need to take this seriously. So that's the first one, the responsibility of age. The second one is the challenge of youth, the challenge of youth. It says there, verse four, and train, and so train the young woman to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So it speaks into that. And then it says, likewise, it shows this is the greatest issue with young men. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Full stop. Then it says, show yourself in all respects, again talking about younger men and in general, to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame and have nothing evil to say about this. Do you know the key problem? that young, and young men and women face, it's self-control. That's the key problem. We all face this. But as we're learning and as we're growing, it's self-control. Young people, we live in a culture that's driven us to believe in something called extended adolescence. I'll tell you what that is. Extended ad adolescence is the, is the belief that we don't have to grow up emotionally and financially for a very long time. It's just extended. High school, university, just continue to live as a teenager in a, in a society sense for as long as possible. In fact, don't ever grow up and take responsibility. And so in this model, we put off taking responsibility for our lives for many years longer than previous generations. If you go back a few hundred years, men would be working and possibly taking over the dads, the family business in their teenage years. People would be getting married in their early 20s and would be taking responsibility financially for a home in their early 20s. And things have changed in a dramatic sense. People are getting married far later than ever before. And this is partly due to living together before marriage. It's partly due to a breakdown in God's heart for marriage. Studies are taking longer and longer. And yes, in part, that's due to job security. So we live in a world that's different. To an extent, we, we might need to study further uh, in our certain fields. But it can also be prolonging getting into the mix of life. It can also be extended student living rather than getting into the marketplace. So this all revolves around the area of self-control in relationships from young teenage years and onwards with money and how we treat money and how we think about money with our time and what we count as serious. 
And so as young people, it's learning to have self-control and have a God-given focus and going hard after that. You are not too young to lead. God has a call on your life and I want us to raise the bar on what it means to be passionate disciples of Christ at a young age. And I'm loving seeing this happen at Harvest. I'm loving teenagers saying, I want to serve. I want to get stuck in and I want to serve. I want to help. Can I help with kids? Can I help with setups? I'm loving seeing young men and women in their 20s saying, we want to help as much as we can. What does that look like? It's absolutely thrilling to see and I pray for more of it. Last point, examples under authority. Examples under authority. Verse 9 and 10 says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. This may be sort of slaves, but, but more it would be people um, in the home setup in that day and age who they probably would be employed. They would have been given food, maybe not money, but through whichever ways they, they, they would, be, um, would be servants in some sense in the household. But I think we can also put it today into the marketplace, being under authority being under authority. It says, uh, be submissive to their own masters and everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So third point is example under authority. You know, the school system in Zim, and it may be uh, the same in other nations, but I remember in junior school, we used to make fun of the teacher's pets. Now, these were kids who would either wait by the teachers uh, in the car park and uh, they would wait there to get ready to carry the teachers back. And maybe they would get a sticker or they just wanted to get in the good books. Um, or maybe in high school, this was the ones who just were a little bit too eager, you know, to, to do well. You know, colored pens and, uh, and just making their work a little bit too beautiful. And we used to make fun of these uh, people. It's probably because I wrote so terribly and it was so untidy. But the point is, Actually, if those people had the right heart to serve and the right heart to honor those who were older than them, they were doing the right thing. They were doing what it's talking about here. And in a sense, when we're under employment, under leadership of others, we should be doing the same. Our heart should be, we want to give 100%. We want to do everything we can to work as best as we can, whoever our, um, whatever our employment is, and to honor those above us to honor those who were under their care. And this doesn't mean that we must stay in a situation that's abusive or remain somewhere we're truly unhappy, but it does mean we give 100% to what we're doing. But why do we do it? What's the reason why we do it? Look at what it says there at the end. Um, doing everything in good faith, being well-pleasing, not arguing, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Again, what I shared, be shared before, why? This is a gospel issue. The way in which we honor our employers, the way in which we honor those who were under the authority, it shines for Christ. People look in and say, why do you live that way? And again, it points to Jesus. And so as I finish off and get ready to pray, Paul's heart for Titus and the church in Crete was to see people come to faith. His heart was to see God's kingdom advance. But he knew that the family unit and extending out from that into the marketplace was the greatest example of Jesus and could have tremendous impact. Once we see everything that we do as an opportunity to show God's kingdom, it changes everything. Once we see our work, our relationships, our marriages, the way we raise our children, our speech, our actions, when we see all of that having the capacity to be a stepping stone in someone coming to faith, 
it transforms how we live. It absolutely transforms it. We have this amazing opportunity for our lives to lay the most wonderful example of how Jesus can change us from the inside out. And so I want to pray, but I want to challenge us to go for it. I want to challenge us to take some time out and say, Lord, we want every aspect of our lives to look just like you planned so that it can be a light in the darkness and can draw many people to yourself. Let's pray. It's God's word and we, we want it to set uh, just real strong root in our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you work in the big and you work in the small. I want to thank you that you've created this family unit to be an example of how you love the church, an example of what relationship between us and you looks like, an example of how to raise kids, an example of your kingdom. Father, as harvest, I pray that we would set the most incredible example, that we would be light in the darkness when it comes to how we work in the marketplace, how we treat our employers, the way that we love each other as husbands and wives, the way that we live self-controlled lives as young people. God, that's our greatest desire, that you would be magnified, that you'd be seen as king, you'd be seen as the God of grace that you are. And as we do that, as we live that out, we would see many more people come through the doors of our church sites. We'd be, see many more people give their lives to Christ. We'd see many more people living lives sold out for you, blazing a trail for many to follow. So I pray that that would be the case for us. I pray that in the week ahead, there would be a dramatic difference in the way that we live, in what we say, in how we act, and ultimately in how we live out your kingdom. Your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. I know that was a lot to get through. Um, there's a lot. Maybe I'd encourage you to read over this again. But, but what a privilege and joy to keep living sold out for Jesus. And so that's our prayer for you as a, as a leadership team. Um, that's our prayer in the different sites that as we live that out, we'd continue to see our sites grow and develop and new sites planted. Uh, it's such a joy to see what God's doing uh, in Harare through us, the local church, and through many other local churches. And so well done. Keep blazing that trail and uh, can't wait to uh, be speaking to you again soon. Thanks very much and have a great day.